0: and Welcome to AgPhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. That means here in the Morton studio, we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844 44 AgPhD. I've already got a few emails in radio at agphd.com. If you need the address, we would love to, to have you send in your soil tests or send in some pictures, whatever you've got questions on. We'd love to help you.
1: Hey, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about just to start the show here today. And again, it is Farmer Friday, so we'd be happy to take your phone calls all throughout the show. But the first one was there's all this talk about climate change and everything else, and you're hearing it constantly in the news. Please don't ever forget all these other things that they're talking about that are going to help the climate, whether it's solar, it's wind, It's batteries. They're all horrible for the environment compared to biofuels. Biofuels are the only possible way we can go below zero on the carbon index score. So anyway, if you do your homework in terms of what it takes to make all those different things, whether it's batteries, wind towers, solar panels, and the disposal of those when you have to dispose of them, then you'll find out pretty quickly that what I'm what we're saying is absolutely true. The best way to go is biofuels. So if we're serious as a country that we want to make that change, now I'm not advocating for that, that hey, we've got this massive climate problem or anything. But if you believe that and you want to head down that path, you gotta turn to biofuels. It's the only answer there is. I mean, look at biofuels, they're so safe you could drink them if they were not uh, denatured by other harmful compounds. But anyway, I, I'm just saying, biofuels, that's the way to go. And there's just more talk about that every single day. So just don't forget, if you're ever talking to a legislator, you're talking to a neighbor or whatever, some non-farmer, who's going to say, oh, we need to go all solar or all battery or whatever. You say, yeah, how low can you actually get on the carbon index score with uh, with that? There, there's none of them that can be zero. And... There are certainly none of them that can be below zero, except for one, and that's us in agriculture with biofuels. The other thing that I was going to bring up to start the show today the other day we were talking about how to read a soil test, and we had calls and questions and all kinds of stuff. And I didn't think we covered that topic nearly as well as we could. So I just want to throw this out there again that in January, Darren and I are hosting a two day free seminar. At our farm, it's right at the the home of the Ag PhD Field Day, where we can seat up to a thousand farmers. We've got a great venue there at the Morton Center. It's a free Ag PhD Soils Clinic. We'd love to have you join us for that, and you can bring along your soil tests. We're gonna have probably fifty trained soils agronomists there to answer your questions and during breaks and stuff like that. Also, but. If you bring your soil tests, we can go through those with you and get you whatever answers you're looking for, plus teach you how to read it moving forward so you have more control over what's happening on your farm. You know where best to stick your fertilizer dollars. So we're going to go through a lot of stuff those couple of days. It's going to be super fun. And... With that soil testing thing, I just want to stress again, it is so unbelievably important to the overall profitability of your farm, the overall health of your soil. And if you are serious about trying to not just raise a great crop today, but leave your ground in better condition for the next generation, you need to know that. Darren, one thing I wanted to ask you quick Uh, you were at a conference yesterday and they were talking about. Was it night? Let's see, nitric oxide. Nitrous, it nitrous oxide. Nitrous, there you go. Yeah, so nitrous oxide. Just tell the story real quick on the saline well, when soils. Well,
0: when you look at these saline soils and they get so bad in the end that nothing grows in those areas, and uh, they were just showing some pictures of some of these fields, and there are thousands and thousands of acres out there like this, and they, they had done some testing on the ground, and they found it was giving off all this nitrous oxide. Like, And I, I might be wrong on this number, so don't quote me on this, but it was like 50 times more than, than you would normally expect. And basically just showing, hey, if ground goes out of production, if you let this condition continue to get worse and not address it, you're going to do the wrong thing for the environment in addition
1: to doing the wrong thing for your pocketbook. So it's a lose-lose situation. And I just want you to think about how this could possibly happen. Why would so much nitrous oxide go up in the air in saline soils? Because the saline soil can't produce, well, it produces diddly squat. That's the the phrase our dad used to use all the time. So uh, anyway, the point is you can't produce anything there yet your soil is constantly mineralizing nitrogen it's releasing nitrogen into the soil and if you don't use it with a crop then what happens to it you're going to do one of two things you're either going to leach away that that nitrate and it will become nitric let's see is it nitric acid yeah nitric acid and it'll leach away or it's going to become nitric, nitrous oxide and go up in the atmosphere. And by the way, nitrous oxide accounted for about 7% of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions from human activities, uh, according to the EPA, just uh, a couple of years ago. So anyway, it's a greenhouse gas. So we were just talking about this climate thing. And my point here is, if you've got a saline soil, and yes, there are some strategies that you can use to help with the saline soil. But I'm going to be blunt with you. you got to put tile in the ground. And so if, let's just say, for example, your local NRCS person is opposed to tile because they simply don't understand it, you got to tell them, look, I'm trying to save the environment here. And you're forcing me, because you won't let me put tile in the ground, to have more greenhouse gases going up in the air. And that's the truth. That's the fact of the matter. You want to raise more crop, so not only do we have less nitrous oxide going in the air, but now, over time, if you want, you can build soil organic matter, and that's how you get below zero on that carbon index score, is by building soil organic matter. Plus... Building soil organic matter is going to make your ground worth more. It's going to make your crop better moving forward. You're going to leave that ground in better condition for the next generation. It's amazing for the soil. It's amazing for plant health. But you got to start by tiling. There's no other answer when you talk about saline soils other than you have to put tile in the ground to improve internal drainage. Then, yes, there are many other steps that you can take to make that ground better, but it starts with tile. All right, today is Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
2: If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Bailing, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing, feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall, learn more at caseih.com farmall. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
3: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear from you today. What's going on in your farm? Maybe you're still harvesting. Maybe you're planting some crop. Who knows what it could be? I uh, know there are a lot of different jobs happening right now. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to the state of Washington right now. Got Drex on with us. How you doing Drex?
4: good how are you guys this afternoon
0: you know we're doing well we're doing well we got harvest all in the bin that's wonderful and we're out doing some fall field work those kinds of things getting prepped for next year how about you
4: well I think things in Washington here are, are a lot the same we've got uh, all the all the beans have been harvested uh, mostly uh, edible beans and uh, we've got Buckwheat, we ran through the combine. Corn is done for us. I still see some neighbors that have some dry corn to harvest. Um, so we've kind of reached the ending, and with that comes a new beginning with our fall farm work, and we started the grain drill today. We do some fall feeding of uh, DNS spring wheat, and so we've got that started today. And, and things are uh, looking really good. It's been an unusually warm fall um our uh our weather stayed pretty open we've been a little bit wet and uh we really haven't had a significant frost here in the columbia basin portion of southeastern washington state
0: wow yeah we didn't get ours until the first of First in November here, so that was really unusual for our area too of the country. And you know, when you don't get that, what do, what do you see on your alfalfa? I know a lot of people like to be done with that uh, well before now, but do you see good regrowth there? Is that something that's going to help you with avoiding winter kill and those kind of things?
4: We we do see very good regrowth. Um, typically, for dry baled hay, folks like to be done. Either before October one or very shortly thereafter, and that that's what we did. It the alfalfa has grown well. It's it's uh, it's starting to senesce, so we're starting to see it. It's at the end of its life and is not not growing any longer. But we do have very nice regrowth. We should be healthy for first cutting next year. Um, we still see. Uh, Week and a half ago, I did see some swathers running where guys had gone in for some green shop after the alfalfa had gone dormant. At least we see that in our area here a little bit.
0: Now, a question for you, too, with the alfalfa ear, uh, export market. When when we think about that this year, I know there's certainly been trouble getting things into the country. What about the export market? Has that still been flowing well, getting things out of the country?
4: So far, uh it's been flowing well. It's been, I don't know if erratic is the right word. It, we, haven't, we haven't gone through the year without seeing the effects of, of the container shortage and uh, slow unloading of ships. So the, the folks that buy hay from me to export have had to juggle their schedules a little bit. Uh, I may bring a stack of hay into them that they have requested and their plans change, so they have to find storage space in their facility in order to, um, to bring in a completely different stack from me or another grower and, um, because their bookings have changed. They thought, they thought this booking was going to happen three weeks from now, and they get short notice from the steamship lines that, no, this booking actually is going to happen in three days instead of three weeks. So, so they have to process the the product and, and get it in the containers and over to the port on a pretty short schedule sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's kind of tricky this year. it's been been yeah. a, been a wild one I, I, and I the more I talked to Brian about it he was like, oh yeah, you know we'll be we'll be through it by next year and now Brian's like, I don't know maybe it's going to be a few years before we get this thing all back on track but but either way whether it's one year or a few years down the road, I think we're all looking forward to that getting back a little closer to normal.
4: I, I think we are and I think we've we've learned and fortunately we haven't had anything uh catastrophic. It hasn't had a, a bad impact on uh the market demand overseas. So we're we're fortunate that way that we haven't we we've seen some some discomfort but but not a lot of uh, permanent injury, I guess I would say.
0: Sure. Sure. Well, Drex, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insight today. Always great talking to you. Good luck here. Hopefully, hopefully that frost holds off a little longer. That'd be that'd be okay. Well, yeah, we enjoy it. You bet. Thanks, Drex. Uh, let's head up to North Dakota. We've got Andy on with us now, and I'm sure Andy had to have had a frost by now. Andy, how you doing? I'm doing well. Just living, just living the dream up in northern North Dakota. I'm sure. What uh, What'd you think of harvest this year?
5: Oh, harvest has been well. I guess. I mean, we were a little late on the soybeans. Wheat was pretty decent yields, and the corn was decent yield, so on. Yeah, it was
0: It was a good thing this summer. I got a chance to be up there, and I, I was really impressed. You know, you don't think of northern North Dakota as a place where you're going to see 150-plus bushel corn, but man, there was some good corn out there to be found.
5: Yes, there was. There were a lot of fields we found were very good this year, so I guess it was for the little amount of rain we did get this summer, I guess we feel pretty blessed
0: we got what we did. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that, that the, the rainfall, I mean, it was spotty and and I knew it just traveling a little bit around North Dakota, man, you didn't have to go very far and somebody either got blessed with a little extra rain or or just missed out by a mile or two and uh, it made a huge difference in the crops. My dad always said this when I was growing up, Andy, he said, you got to be a better farmer as you go north and west because you have a short growing season you never know when it's going to rain, and you still might get all the heat and everything else, all the challenges that come. What were the biggest challenges this year, and and how do you guys plan for that? That uh, okay, I know it might be a tough year, so we got to be smart as we're putting the crop in.
5: Yeah, I guess as far as that goes, I we do split apply all our nitrogen and stuff that's on like the, the corn and the wheat and so on like that. So there was we did cut back on the wheat on the nitrogen as it got drier. and I mean, and then we did catch some rain, so we got a decent crop. And the corn, the corn was looking good, so we really didn't cut back anywhere there on
0: that, so. Yeah, I like the idea of the split application. I know my dad would do that a lot, too. He'd say, well, let's put on what we think we're going to get for sure, and then if if it looks like a great crop, we can always put some more out there. Because if it's going to be a great crop, we know we're getting rain, so we can get it in there. Uh, I, you know what are the big challenges you got in terms of weeds? I know, I know. When you look at crop rotation up there, obviously you've got uh, some different crops to try and attack things. Is it kochia? Is it narrow leaf hawksbeard? What are what are the bigger challenges?
5: The uh, biggest challenge we've got is kochia, and it's we've got so many sour spots and so on left from our wet years, and they're hard to battle with them. And lot most, most thing that grows on it's kochia.
0: Yeah, we just haven't figured out how to make that a crop yet. That, that would be amazing if, if that was just our only crop.
5: Well, either that or they could Take some genetics out of the kochia and breed it into the wheat
0: or something to be drought tolerant. <laughs> that's that's what Brian always says whenever he's talking to breeders. I, I just know that sentence is gonna come out. He's he always says, Have you looked at kochia? You know, that plant, you just can't kill it if you want to, and it's the only thing that lives in these tough soils. You know, you've mentioned yeah. you mentioned the wet years, and and I've been up in your area when it's been wet, and it's no fun. You got got heavier soils, you got a lot of Uh, poorly drained areas up there. I know you've worked a little bit on the the drainage. Uh, What have you seen with that? On a year like this, did did that help you? Did it pay off?
5: You know, you can find the tiled area in the yield map again this year, which goes to tell me we need to put more
0: in. Yeah, yeah. That's, we see that even over in Minnesota too, the guys that have 100 foot pattern tiles, they say, man, I can still see where those tile lines are. Guess we better go to 50. Guess we better go to 40. And that's, 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 there's a lot of tough things about farming heavy ground, but the good thing is with heavy ground, even with not enough rainfall, you're still able to get a pretty decent crop. And this is one of those years uh, for Andy up in North Dakota. Andy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here and good luck here the rest of the fall. Yeah, sounds good. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open right now at 844 44 ag Looking forward to uh, some more great callers on the show. Also, if you feel more comfortable sending us an email or if you're going to call in and you have some email material you want us to take a look at, like a soil sample or so forth, you can certainly do that, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this.
2: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down, non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
0: One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers as well as presentations on tile design lift stations nrcs guidelines and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues for more details and to register go to agphd.com while you're there check out the other ag phd events we have coming up in january and february including agronomy workshops in corn soybeans and wheat Two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
5: Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5 ec a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5E-C synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5E-C to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat-resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5E-C or visit BelchemUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
3: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to join the discussion, let's head down to Missouri. Got our friend Gabe on right now. Gabe, how's it going?
6: Hey, doing well. How are you doing?
0: Not too bad. We got all the harvest in the bin. How about you down there?
6: No, sir. No, sir. I wish we did. We still like about 300 acres of soybeans.
0: Okay, so what's holding you back on the soybeans? Were they still wet, or have you had uh, just a lot of rainfall, or just a lot of acres to get over?
6: Well, plenty of acres, I guess, to get over. Right now, we're broke down. We're actually working on the combine. I'm talking right now. And, uh, oh, you know, we've had wet enough fall, I guess, in a way, but... Uh, we probably need another combine just to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when this one's not cooperating. Man, what a tough yeah, time no, what a tough time for a phone call. Oh man. Combine's broke down yeah. right now.
6: We are literally putting a, a, a clean grain uh gear case in right now. Fixing to carry it up the ladder, so yes, sir, but uh we had a, we've had an all right fall out there. Not terrible, you know. <laughs>
0: Good, good. So when you look at next year, so you see you got soybeans left to go. A lot of guys talking about man might might consider more soybean acres for twenty twenty two. What are you thinking? Have you you guys been talking about this at all with fertilizer prices and all the other things going on?
6: Absolutely, been been thinking about it a lot, and I I, I am thinking like everybody else. But at the same time, let me tell you this: if everybody's thinking beans. There's some people thinking, "Yep, we're gonna say we're gonna plant beans, if we're gonna plant corn." So <laughs> I, am, I haven't really put the pencil to paper to see which one works out better, but six dollar corn or whatever's pretty good.
0: Oh, I know it, and you know you're you're thinking along the same lines as my brother because he's like, "Man, if everybody <laughs> else is talking a lot of beans, I'm probably gonna plant corn because that might work out a lot better for yeah. me." Yeah. Yeah. I,
6: yeah, I I think everybody's saying one thing. I mean, I don't know what they're saying, but they may say one thing. But $6 cord, year in and year out, it's hard to beat. I, it's not that high for next year. But uh, I really don't know how to get this year's done before I go too far for next year.
0: <laughs> I don't blame you for that. Okay. Well, hey, since you're doing repairs, i got about one more minute of questions here for you. But since you got yeah, repairs sir. going on right now, how hard was it to find parts? Did you have to go a long ways, or did your local dealer have what you need?
6: there there's a local dealer that has a great surplus down here normally they were out anyway we went to our other local dealer they had it uh but there's no doubt things are in short supply i mean it's just like everything fertilizer parts uh trucks microchips uh everything's in short supply you know I, and to strike at deer and when we got a green combine the strike it deer is not helping you know
0: yeah Yep, that's for sure. Well, yeah, it's bad timing just all around, no doubt about that. Well, we're talking with Gabe. Speak yeah, about sir. bad timing, of course of all times we're talking to Gabe, they happen to be broke down with the combine. Gabe, I'll let you run. Stay safe out there. Good luck. Hey. Hopefully the last yes, 300, 300 acres goes smooth for you. Hey,
7: thank you. Have
0: a good day. You bet. You too. Let's head over to Montana. Hopefully somebody's not broke down there. Scott, how are you doing?
7: Hey, good. How are you doing, Darren? We're not broke down. Okay, good. Good.
0: (laughs) Good. (laughs) Oh, man. I I know the breakdowns don't happen all that often, but when they do, it is so frustrating. Uh, How are you guys, coming? What are you working on right now?
7: Well, we're actually pretty well done with all of our field work. Uh, Got our our winter wheat planted and fall harvesting all done. So we're just kind of actually doing some maintenance projects, kind of maybe hopefully trying to prevent some breakdowns for next year is what we're doing right now.
0: You bet, you bet. Well, and we honestly, we try to target Halloween as we really want to try and do everything we can to have harvest done by then, because it could start snowing. How about in your area? Have you caught snow already?
7: We did. uh, The last week of September, we had about a foot of snow, and in some places in Montana, had two to three feet out in eastern Montana. Uh, That was really welcome because we've been so dang dry, but that was the most moisture we've had at one time probably since May. Um, It was really welcomed. So it was nice. The snow is gone now and it kind of greened things up. So it was a, it was great snow, got our winter wheat up, kind of helped our pastures.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about that with the winter wheat, that had to be really good. I know our guys um, in the Dakotas, a lot of areas with winter wheat got really lucky and caught some fall rains and it, it actually looks pretty good. How, how does your winter wheat look?
7: It looks as good as it has in several years because we'd got some of that moisture, like I was saying, and um, it's it's rowed up nice. Uh, it's not real tall, but it's it's rowed up good, and certainly has a chance to make it through the winter if we can just get a little snow cover. And sure, off to a pretty good start, um, looking a little better you know, than what it was a year ago. I think we we kind of see some hope for some moisture, anyways.
0: Outstanding. Do you have cattle in your operation, Scott?
7: Yes, we do. Yeah, we're pretty pretty evenly split between the cattle and the farming end.
0: So, as we head into the winter months and you've got some elevation to deal with too what what do you do with cattle and and how do you help them to to make it through a tough winter?
7: Well, we kind of try to uh i guess we let them graze on our fields in the aftermath to kind of put on some weight you know while it's warm out right now and get them in really good shape as good a shape as possible I guess maybe you call them farmer cows they're pretty fat <laughs> so they get them in really good shape, and then it doesn't take quite as much hay and, and cake. You know, we feed, like, range cubes, cake-type stuff uh, for protein. Um, we try to graze out most of the winter and then just supplement them lightly and uh, try, to, try to make them earn a living. But it kind of starts right now. It's keeping them in good shape right now to help through winter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I know we, we look at that too. We used to have a cow calf operation here. We haven't now for a number of years, but I, I remember that heading into the winter. Dad was always concerned, making sure everybody's doing great before we get into those stressful months. Cause we're going to have some snow and it's going to get cold.
7: That's right. Yep.
0: So, looking at looking at next year with spring crops, what do you see? Do you see anything different happening? Are there other opportunities that you got in Montana with the way the corn and soybean prices have gone nuts? Does that make some of these other crops more profitable for you?
7: Oh, well, absolutely! You know, we grow a lot of pulse crops, peas and lentils, and uh, the price is really good on those. We're going to definitely plant as many of them as we can. I do think seeds going to be hard to find. You know, we were fortunate enough; we got enough enough cut to get some seed to, to plant our acres. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's great when the prices are high. And, and of course, peas and lentils are good because we don't have to put the fertilizer down. We don't have to have those big inputs like the spring wheat's
0: going to need some pretty expensive fertilizer. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. What about manure? Do you do you bring cattle into a lot or anything where you can capture some manure to put back out?
7: Well, like I was saying, we kind of graze our, our fields, which I know a lot of guys don't like to do, but they they kind of pack the manure out there. Okay, perfect. Um, I know yep. it's not really, you know, it's not like we're spreading it, but they do, you know, they do their thing out there, and it certainly helps the field. Some, I mean, I think it does.
0: Yeah, no, I like that too. I like turning that residue into highly available manure <laughs> as fertilizer. That that works out pretty good. One one question, and I was just at a Precision Ag conference here this week, and they were talking about virtual fencing and uh, putting putting collars on each of the cows and fencing them in that way. Do you do you have a lot of fencing issues where you're at in Montana? Do you how do you keep them in where you want to keep them?
7: Well, we don't, we don't do anything special. We just do barbed wire fences. We have pastures, and we have our fields rotated to where we can summer in pastures that might have farming, so it's summer fallow. But we, we just use barbed wire fence, um, not real small pastures. They're bigger pastures, so we don't –
0: you know, fencing's not a real
7: a big deal for us. It's once it's there, it's there. It's pretty permanent. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of things that go into this that, that you don't think of, but but yeah, you got to do everything you can to keep the cattle in, in good shape and, and leave the fields in good shape for next year, and it's a great it's a great yep. rotation here. Like you say, you're kind of balanced between the cropping and the cattle, and uh, I think that's kind of how it was designed yep. in the first place.
7: Well, especially out where we're at. We're in a low-yield environment, so the livestock really help the farming. They help each other a lot, especially out in eastern Montana.
0: You bet. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hopefully you guys catch some more moisture here. That'll certainly uh, raise the spirits heading into next year.
7: All right. Thanks, Darren, and we really enjoy your show. You guys take care.
0: You bet. Thank you. Got a little feedback from Gary up in Saskatchewan. Gary said, hey, you guys are always talking about soil testing and and it'd be nice to do it on the fly. I just found... uh, nutrient scanner type program really curious what you guys think if you've tried that we haven't yet Gary but but that's exciting like I mentioned I've been at a precision ag conference this week and there's certainly a lot of talk about how can we gather soil nutrient data faster and more efficiently so we'll take a look at that really appreciate you sending that in stay tuned we'll be right back
2: Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
2: Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber Clean. And what is Kyber Clean? Well, it's a little like. <laughs> Nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k y b e r herbicide.com/soy. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday here in the Morton Studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Back by popular request is our friend Tony Wendler, Tony's with Farm Shop MFG, and Tony's often talking about grain quality in the bins. Tony, with a, a lot of farmers wrapping up harvest, we got a lot of bushels that are in jeopardy in these bins if we don't take good care of them.
8: Yes, I've uh, I've talked with a handful of them on uh, different ways to uh, enhance their management from both for corn. That's what a lot of people are working on right now for corn to prevent over-drying of the uh, grain at the bottom of the bin the uh being able to turn the fans off when the humidity drops too low, as well as uh, when it gets really saturated to turn it off, there's no point in blowing a bunch of real wet air up the grain column so uh yeah, I've been uh, having a lot of uh, chats with people on those topics and that- uh.
0: Oh, another one, Tony, is I I just was talking to a farmer on the East Coast today, and he said, Darren, I don't know what to do. My beans are still in the field. They're still testing 19% moisture. We got more rain on the forecast a few days out. We got just a few days here to have a shot at getting these things out. And I, I mentioned, man, haven't you been listening to the show? <laughs> don't you know there are options for it? And he goes, yeah, I know, but I don't have those fancy bin fan controllers and probably can't get them anyway with the, the shortage of parts and everything else. And I said, I don't know. I wouldn't be so sure about that. What What is the lead time if somebody wanted to get set up with bin fan controls?
8: Uh, the uh, We can ship in, in about uh, – Two business days, three business days. Uh, once we, they finalize the order, we know the uh, the final way to construct it. They're about the night we We've got a bunch of them, about ninety percent built, and we complete them to fit the exact order and the application and the number of sensors that will be feeding into it as soon as they place the order. Uh, so it's it's not long, and uh, you know it's a uh, it works. I I'll just add in real quick here. Uh, my bin of beans is just now finishing, and I had 9% on the bottom uh, with the wet spell, got them up to 12.5, then I ended up with 14, mostly 15 and 16 on top, and uh, I have got the top down to 13.5, and the bottom's holding at 12.5, so now I'm pulling the two together to 13. It works. you know. And here's the thing, on, on that bin with two 20-horse fans, I only had 59 hours of fan time. So people talk about the economics. It's not expensive. You know, the uh, two 10 horse fans for running 50 hours, that's not costly.
0: No no that's for sure well it's and it's fairly easy to do you do have to pay attention just a little bit like you're saying you're you're checking things uh, on a fairly regular basis just to make sure everything's good but well it's a lot of bushels and a lot of dollars if you've got it's just say it was a ten thousand bushel bin I mean you got over a hundred thousand dollars worth of soybeans in there to spend uh, a couple hundred bucks to to make sure it's all going good it seems pretty reasonable
8: yeah and it it works it's easy the uh, the guys who are out there harvesting uh, those uh 16 whatever percent they can get their combine to handle uh, it'll dry it down for them it works
0: yeah I think there's a lot of farmers especially this year and I know there's uh, well we were just talking with Gabe down in Missouri and and part of their thing is they're broke down Uh, but you know for a lot of the guys in the east coast that it's just been raining so much they've had so much rain in the last really three months here uh, if you count September October November so far it's it's tough. There's a lot of beans still sitting out in the field, and and it'd sure be a shame to lose them when they're they're this valuable to us. Okay, talk to us about corn. We talk about beans a lot. What's what are you hearing on the corn this year, Tony? You know, a lot of guys had relatively dry corn. It seemed like eighteen percent was a lot of the corn that came in. It doesn't take much to get that down.
8: You know, I look in my neighborhood, and I just don't see any grain dryers running. So. Most of the stuff is going right into the bins. And, uh, you know, if you've got uh, close moisture, 16%, 17%, you can typically take that out with your fans. And, uh, you know, there again, uh, my bin fan control was developed, actually, for natural air drying corn and making it efficient. And it, uh, it's an excellent application there to uh, get you right to 15%, you know, whatever your goal is, and, uh, and then hold it there. Uh, and that's the uh, – you can unload that bin and be 15% uh, within a few tenths from bottom to top and uh, very predictably.
3: All right.
0: and- Alright well that's that's nice to say Tony because if we were going to haul it right out right now that's fine but here's the other trick that I'm going to throw at you or the other uh, complication. So it's starting to get cooler outside. We're getting some cooler now. I mean today's pretty nice but uh, starting to get some cooler weather as farmers want to cool that grain down and we, I, I look at I'd like to store my grain below 40 degrees for sure but just kind of wondering what are your recommendations for what's a temperature we want to get to and how do we do that without drying the grain down or adding more moisture in unintentionally.
8: Yeah, the um, very good question. In as far as getting your grain down, the, the classic uh, way that we were all taught was to get it uh, down into the mid thirties is where you would like to store it in the winter. Here in the northern environment, where you are in South Dakota, me in northern Iowa, uh, the uh, I'm going to be looking to run my fans. Uh, Above, in fact, if I'm using the fan control, I set it at 33. It'd run above 33 and uh, start out below 45. So I'm going to average somewhere there in the mid-30s. The value of a bin fan control is so we don't over-dry. I can set that uh, relative humidity to shut off when it drops below about 66%. Uh, on the opposite end, I can set it to shut off when it gets above 80% so I'm not blowing a whole bunch of wet air in there and letting it sit. Uh, and uh, just keep it running between uh, that uh, 66 to uh, upper 70s, 80. And I can set the, uh, the fan control. so like this afternoon when it's warmer or this weekend when it's warmer, will not run. It's going to run when the uh, temperature and humidity is at the ideal time. And if you have monitors, we can slave the monitor, uh, slave the, the bin fan control with the monitor. So it will keep asking for the fan control to run until it gets down to our target of uh, say thirty six uh thirty seven degrees uh these there's a lot of farmers who freeze uh same thing there you know you can uh, we can set the humidity to not over dry and yet get that uh grain that corn down into the teens or whatever the targets might be and then uh set the Set it for humidity temperature, not to over dry, not to add too much moisture, and get to our target and hold it there in condition all winter. Periodically allowing a little bit of ventilation time and uh, without blowing in the wrong air with too much moisture, too little moisture, or the wrong temperature. It all works great together.
0: I love listening to you talk about this, Tony, because you get so much confidence because you're doing it on your own farm and working with a lot of other farmers to do a great job storing the grain and getting it to the optimal moisture and temperature and everything. How long do you find it to take an average, average farmer to get really good at this?
8: Two or three seasons. Second season, they're getting uh, their understand. First season, I'm having conversations with them. I, I talk with people. I just say, hey, call me up. You got a question? I'd rather talk to you, and the only, uh, the only uh, dumb question is the one that's not asked. So call me up, whatever you got, we'll talk about it. Uh, first year, a lot of good questions. Second year, I'll get a, call from people that are uh, refresh me, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, and then they'll start going on their own. Third year, I'm not hearing much from them. They got, they've got it down. And uh, a little bit of uh, the patterns, we've got to talk about the patterns. Uh, there's one pattern for added moisture. There's another pattern for decreasing moisture, and then you've got that mixed pattern of having both um, dry and wet in. And uh, I just had a conversation with a guy yesterday. Uh, he's got 9% uh, beans on the uh, on the top and wet beans on the bottom, like 16% on the bottom. Now, that's kind of a nice thing to have because we'll blow that moisture up, but you gotta look at what's going on. We don't wanna blow wet air in there and add moisture to the bottom and uh... we're just going to try to move that moisture up from the bottom to the top there's those different every every bin and how it was filled could have a different conversation
0: yeah, it's 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 a great learning experience, and the best thing my dad always said this too: you'll learn a lot faster when you get some money on the line and you got some skin in the game. We're talking with Tony Wendler here with Farm Shop MFG with great advice as always about how to take care of that grain in your bin, how to make more money with the bin that, or with the grain that you've already got. Tony, thank you so much. I really appreciate having you on. Good luck to you here the rest of the fall. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with uh, Ag PhD mailbag questions after this.
4: Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at
2: soilwarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Endzone from Farmshop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more.
0: How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more
2: at agphd.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency, and the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com.
0: Hey everybody come on in the ag phd mailbag is about to begin welcome back you're listening to ag phd radio it is the ag phd mailbag time that means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD but also getting to some of the emails that came in at radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, get, you know, here's one thing my dad always would talk about, or our dad would always talk about this, about how when he was in the tractor and he was making rounds out in the field, he was always thinking, how can I be more efficient? Is there a way I could do this with one less pass, or is there a way I could do it so I didn't have so much overlap? It appears Keith has got the same kind of mindset. He's over in Uh, central minnesota said i grew up as a non-farmer and i really enjoy your farm basic segments that you do on ag phd but i've recently started helping a couple of farmers with tillage and i'm just wondering if uh, you might consider doing a segment on efficient ways to do tillage so let me explain let's say you're going to chisel plow a rectangular 80 acre field at a five degree heading is there a sequence to till the field with the minimum number of rounds? Where do you start? Where do you end? I start by doing the short rows on one end, then the long rows in the middle, and finish with the short rows on the other headland, but I find myself having to go over areas along the field edges I've already done in order to finish everything, so I'm just wondering, is there a different way to do things?
1: Well, there are lots of different ways to do things. The way it sounds to me is... Uh, he, he, he's just about as efficient as you can get we usually do stuff inside the field first then we do the end rows to reduce the compaction that we've created every time we had to turn around out in the field and then we're done so I you know I don't know maybe there's some better way to do things and maybe anybody listening today maybe you've got some suggestion you want to give us a call or send us an email but yeah that's that's the simplest way and I believe it would be the most efficient.
0: Okay. We got this one from Wade down in Kansas. He said, I'm a beginning farmer in Northwest Kansas, raising corn, wheat, hybrid sorghum. Ben, just picked up some CRP ground. It's been in CRP for 15 years, 230 acres, just awesome ground. We get about 20 inches of rain a year, but the majority of it comes as snow or spring rain or summer's hit and miss. My thinking was to plant at least half of this ground to corn in the spring of 2022 and hope that we catch some rain, possibly summer fallow the other half to spread input risk if our winter or spring is dry. The grass uh, uh, that's out there right now has got a little bit of green out there. Is there still time to do a fall burn down? If you get a hard freeze, how far ahead of it do you have to be? Or if you've had one, can you still burn down perennial grasses? Just wondering, I'd like to be no-till and not disturb what's gone on out there the last 15 years, but certainly I've heard horror stories of warm season grasses coming up late and and uh, sucking up all the moisture hurting the corn. So just wondering what, what you guys think about that. If you're going to do an application, uh, okay. how does frost impact
1: yep. that? All right, so we got a lot of things there, but let me just say we've done exactly what you're talking about, taking out CRP or taking out pasture ground. We've done that many times over the years. Here are a couple of key things, and especially for your geography, Northwest Kansas, it's dry. We're not as hot as you are, but about as dry as you are. And our problem is, if you don't get that killed early enough in the fall, then you're sucking moisture out that your next crop could and should use. So, If possible, if you haven't had a hard frost yet, I would go spray Roundup at the highest labeled rate, I mean really high, relatively low water volume, so in other words five to maybe at the very most ten gallons of water per acre, but you got to hammer it. Hit it as hard as you possibly can. The problem is, if you don't get it done at least a week before your first hard frost, then it's not going to be as effective. It'll be quite effective before the frost, not as effective afterwards. You can hit it early in the spring if you want to, doing the exact same thing that I just told you, highest labeled rate and all that stuff, but I'd rather get it under control right now so then you aren't sucking any moisture out from this point forward. So that's your number one thing. I'll also say corn, wheat, and sorghum, all three need moisture. All three, well, especially the corn and the wheat are early spring crops. So I mean, honestly, just if I said, okay, I can only raise those three crops, what would I want to put in there? It'd probably be the sorghum because that's a little more drought tolerant. Now, on our farm, a lot of times I like going into those pasture CRP situations with soybeans if I can because it doesn't take quite as much moisture. And I... I, Just feel like I can do a much better job killing those warm season grasses exactly like you're talking about. If you want to go corn, that's fine. We've done that too because sometimes there will have been tordon on that pasture or maybe CRP and corn is safe to go into tordon. Soybeans isn't. So we've done corn before and it's turned out fine. It's just like you said, you got to basically pray for rain. I'm not a huge fan of fallow just because then I have no income coming in. So if I can, I'm trying to plant something out there. But your key is getting that pasture or CRP, whatever you're trying to burn down, killed off as quickly as you can. So, yeah, in your CRP case, just get it done if you can. Um, if not, next year could be. It, it It's a gamble. All right. Hey, Darren, we had a couple of emails come in. I don't know if you saw just like a minute ago. Uh, so one was, and I don't have a name on this, I'm sorry, talking about stinging nettle. We were talking about stinging nettle on our Ag PhD TV show with our Weed of the Week. And they made the comment, stinging nettle is actually edible and smokable. <laughs> I, I don't know if it is. Well, I would say so, that
0: you can come to our tree <laughs> grove. If you find some, you can take it all.
1: That's totally but, fine with yep, me. But this this goes along with a lot of the comments we get about the Weed of the Week. Oh, that's not a weed. Look. The, our number one weed on our farm in soybeans, you know what it is? It's volunteer corn. Well, of course, corn is our biggest cash crop on the other side, on the other acres. But when it's in the wrong areas, then it's a weed. And if we don't control it, we don't maximize profitability. And so I I, I just say this. Yeah. I, I mean, if there are lots of uses for weeds. And if any non-farmer wants to come out to our farm and handpick our weeds, we'd love to have you do it. But the problem is we can't get that done. And in the meantime, we've got to survive here. This isn't just about, oh, we're rich and getting richer. No, literally for a lot of farmers, it's about we have to survive. We don't want to go bankrupt and, and have all these problems for our family and everything else. So In order to do that and survive, we have to control the weeds. That's just the way it is. Do you see the one from Tom that came in too? Yeah, yeah. About burning ditches. Go ahead. All right. He
0: said, uh, "Thanks for asking my question. Answering my question about burning ditches. Uh, How do you control giant ragweed in corn?" What are the quantities of status and atrazine we should use if that's the choice we take? It sounds like Verdict would be a good pre-product, but are status and atrazine both just for post?
1: Okay, so giant ragweed in corn. Verdict, yes, it is the best pre-emerge herbicide. And by the way, the price came down this year, which is great. It's down roughly, I'm going to call it 7% or something like that. So that's nice. And it has to be used pre-emerge. You can't use it early post. Verdict is a combination of Outlook group 15 and sharpen PPO and the sharpen portion in there is what's really going to hammer that giant rag. It'll burn down everything that's there today and it will leave you residual for a little while. Now you can bump that rate of 10 ounces of verdict that I was just just talking about with how much sharpen and outlook you have in there but you you can go to uh, to 15 ounces if you would like to Uh, A lot of people just do 10. Post-emerge, yes, status is absolutely the best at controlling giant ragweed, and you can throw in a quarter pound or a half pound of atrazine if you would like. That'll help a little bit. If you want to go a lot cheaper, so status at the five-ounce rate is going to run you roughly, let's call it $18 an acre. Whereas if you go a full rate, three ounces of a generic mesotrione, Callisto, then you're only going to spend about $3. So $3 $3 versus $18, It's $15 savings. Is status worth $15 more? Well, it is if you get got a lot of giant ragweed. But otherwise, the HPPD is pretty good if you just have a little bit here and there.
0: All right, thanks for the question. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's good to get into some of those specifics. Uh, had a, a little feedback from Hugh. He said, I love your program. Wondering if you guys could do something on allelopathy down the road. It's a huge subject and almost unexplored.
1: Yeah, so what allelopathy is, for any of our listeners that aren't familiar with that, it's basically where a plant puts out chemicals into the soil. Yes, they're chemicals, but natural chemicals, into the soil to prevent other plants from growing and competing against it. We talk most about this with alfalfa, that alfalfa is trying to basically prevent other alfalfa plants from coming up, in addition to some other species. But yeah allelopathy absolutely has a negative impact on trying to raise your next crop in some cases
0: hey great feedback there really appreciate that hugh and yeah we'll we'll definitely talk about that more thanks to you for listening to today's program be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio